Would you turn your Bible to the book of Ephesians this morning? And we are just having a type of Bible study from this book with the theme from the verses saith Williford read to us a little while ago in chapter 5, verse 18, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. May we pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the excitement of being in the house of God, for all the songs that have encouraged and blessed and have been a praise from our hearts unto thee. Every song, every word has been unto Jesus this morning. And the very fact that we've come with our Bibles across this city and county to meet in this church building is just a testimony to Thee that, Lord, we love Thee, and we're praising Thee and honoring Thee. We pray that the Spirit of God will move in the hearts of people. May somebody who has never been saved come to Jesus, and all of us who are saved come into a closer walk with the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Ephesians is Paul's wonderful letter to the church where he spent three years of his life. We do not know for sure how long Paul ministered. Some have believed it was just a scarce 15 to 20 years. Others believe it was over 35 years from the time of his conversion on the Damascus Road until his death on the Appian Way outside the city of Rome at the hands of Nero. Usually, he would not stay very long in a city. For example, he went to Thessalonica and spent just three weeks there teaching and preaching the Word of God. But Ephesians, the city of Ephesus, was a little different because it was the hub in Asia Minor, right on the coast of the Aegean Sea. Ephesus reached out to all the other areas. And if you'll read Revelation chapters 2 and 3, you read the letters to the seven churches, Ephesus being the first church, and then Smyrna, and uh, Thyatira, and uh, Sparta, and uh, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, and those other churches all reaching out from Ephesus. John the Beloved, was at one time pastor of this church. Timothy was also pastor of this church and perhaps became the pastor toward the end of that century after John died in his 90s. Now Paul writes to Ephesus and he reminds the people there that it is the Holy Spirit that gives them joy and peace and strength and power and so, we must not grieve the Holy Spirit. He begins in chapter 1, verse 13, In whom ye also trusted, after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, who is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. The first thing that occurs in our lives as uh, 
as we come to Christ is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Over in John chapter 16, Jesus said these, these words concerning the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, notice the person. The Holy Spirit is not just a, an influence. He's not just a power. He is a person. He is the second person of the Trinity. God the Father. He's the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All in one. God manifested in three persons. And so Jesus said, it's expedient for you that I go away. If I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not be here. But when I go, I will send the promise of the Father. And when he has come, here's what he'll do. Number one, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. The greatest sin a person is guilty of is not thievery, it is not rape, it is not murder, it is not sticking up a bank. The greatest sin a person can commit is rejecting God's only remedy for sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on an old rugged cross for our sins. And I tell you, God will not ignore when we trample over his blood and treat it as an unholy thing and ignore God's only remedy for sin and try to clothe ourselves in our own self-righteousness and we say like that rich young ruler, I have kept all these commandments from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus, putting his finger on the spiritual need of that man's life, said, you go sell all you have and come and follow me. He recognized that the man was trusting in himself and in his wealth and in his bank accounts and his stocks and his bonds and his riches for security. God will not ignore when you tramp underfoot the blood of Christ and in its place robe yourself in your own righteousness. There may be people within the sound of my voice today and perhaps right in this auditorium who are tempted to trust in your goodness, in how good you have been. Time after time after time, we have spoken to somebody about his soul, and you say, well, I'm about as good as those people who go to church. The only difference in them and me, they carry their Bible to church, and I mow my lawn on Sunday, and no difference at all. We, we, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't run around with those who do, and on and on they go magnifying their own good works. And I submit to you, the works of righteousness will save nobody. And so Jesus said, when he has come, the Holy Spirit, he will put his finger on the main, main sin in your life, the sin of unbelief. That's the sin that bars heaven. The only sin that will keep a man out of heaven is the sin of rejecting or ignoring or counting as unnecessary the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for our sins. And the question today is, are you sure you're under the blood? 
when you come to the throne of God after death and the angel of God says, why should I let you in God's heaven? What would you say? Lord, I went to church every Sunday. I even carried my Bible. Well, Lord, I read the Bible from cover to cover. And Lord, I didn't cuss and I didn't swear and I didn't drink and I didn't commit adultery and I didn't do all those sins that a lot of people do. I guess I'm good enough to be here. And the angel will say, depart from me, I never knew you. There's no hope for anybody who comes to the gate of heaven like that. There is hope for a man who comes to the gate of heaven and says, I was a sinner. I was guilty. I was vile. I was unclean. I was guilty before God. But I went to the cross one day and the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me from all sin. And there will be an open door of heaven. Come. Come, inherit the kingdom of my Father. And so Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin, the sin of unbelief. Secondly, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. The righteousness of Christ. He is the one that is altogether righteous, altogether pure, altogether holy. And thirdly, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. That is, the devil has already been judged. And if you're on the devil's team, you're already judged too. And so the Holy Spirit's first work is to convict us and draw us to Christ. I remember before I was saved, I'd go to church and my heart would pound a little bit bigger. And I'd know that God was speaking to me that I ought to come. I don't know why I put it off, but I put it off and put it off until one Sunday night. The Spirit of God just spoke to my heart. And I said, Lord, I want to be saved, but I'm afraid. And it seemed like Jesus said, uh, Richard, if you'll take the first step, I'll go with you the rest of the way. I took a step to Jesus, and he came into my life. He's been going with me the rest of the way. Now, when we receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. Technically speaking, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. The one that comes into our lives at salvation is the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul meant in Ephesians chapter 1. He is the earnest of our expectation until the redemption of the purchased possession. Here I am on the slave market of sin. Jesus paid the price for my sins on the cross. The old, the old rugged cross made the difference. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. I received Christ my Savior. The Holy Spirit came in and began to whisper, you're mine and I'm yours forever and forever. And he's the one that makes me able to tell you today I'm going to heaven. Not because I'm a preacher. Not because I try to live a good life. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. But the earnest of the Spirit inside, the earnest of God inside is the Holy Spirit who whispers, you're mine now, Richard, and I'll be with you forever. Now, I want to ask you, do you have the earnest of the Spirit inside? Ms. Ava Morris used to be a member of our church. She's in heaven now. And often, over and over again, she would speak of the witness of the Spirit inside. 
She'd come to church today, I can sense the witness of God's Spirit in my heart. Do you have that today? That's the earnest of the Holy Spirit. Is the earnest, is the Spirit of God whispering in your heart an agreement with what is being preached today? He is the down payment. You go to make a, a purchase, to purchase a house or to purchase some property. And in order to keep that house or keep your option on that house or that property, you will give the realtor some earnest money. And that's a down payment. Now, that is in signing the contract. If you sign the contract and you do not buy the property, then you have to forfeit that earnest money. Now, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the earnest in our heart that we're going to be in heaven with Jesus. If God breaks that, what happens? See, he will never break it. I am the Lord, I change not. God will not break that covenant. He is the earnest of the inheritance. Secondly, look in chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. The agent of the new birth is the Holy Spirit. We're born again by the Spirit of God. He moves into our hearts and he bears us into the kingdom of God. He is, as it were, the midwife. He's the one that is there to open our hearts. The Bible speaks of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus. They're both the two sides of one coin. You can't have one without the other. It is impossible to have repentance toward God without faith in the Lord Jesus. Now you can be sorry for sins and you can be sorry you're caught in sin and you can uh, be remorseful for years and years and years but if, you, if your repentance toward God does not lead to immediate faith in Christ, there's no salvation. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus. And who makes that possible? The Holy Spirit of God. And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. How did Jesus come out of the grave that day? It was the power of God in the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the, the human Jesus, was dead. Have you ever thought that through? was a miracle of what happened. But do you think on that third day when the dead body of Jesus was in that grave that all of a sudden that dead body made itself alive? The Bible says God raised him up by the power of God. It was the Holy Spirit that brought Jesus from the dead and gave him new life. And that's what will happen at the end of the age when you and I are raptured and taken to be with the Lord or at death when the angel of God takes us over to be with God, and then when Jesus comes the second time, the Holy Spirit will quicken our body and make us alive unto God. That's what he did. And that's what he continues to do. Now thirdly, look over in chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 25, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another, be angry and sin not. Let not sin go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to them that need it. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, 
but that which is good to the use of edifying, that he may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is a real person. Now you think of the most sensitive person you, you know. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your daughter. Maybe it's your girlfriend. Maybe it's a, a, another man that you know. But somebody that's very sensitive and their feelings get hurt easily. Now you think of that person a moment. The Holy Spirit is much more sensitive than that. The slightest disobedience to the Holy Spirit grieves him. That's the reason in the paragraphs before verse 30 in chapter 4, he says, let him that steals, uh, stole steal no more. Let him labor with his hands. Be angry and sin not. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Because all of these things grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And when the Holy Spirit is grieved, he is resident still. He's there. He doesn't leave you. But you push him over into one corner of your life. And he has no power. He has no efficacy in your life. And a person can push him so far in a corner that he doesn't even hear the pleadings of the Holy Spirit inside. And when that happens, he's very near the sin unto death. In John, 1 John 5, 16, the scripture says, I do not, there, there's a sin that a brother can commit that is unto death. I do not say you should pray for that one. God has given up on him. Doesn't mean he's lost if he's ever been saved, but it means God has to remove him from first from active use and second from even being here and he has a funeral. And so we're warned, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption, but let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Keep in mind, please, as you read the scripture, Jesus was much harder on the Pharisees and the scribes than he was the publicans. Now the publicans were hated by the Pharisees and scribes. The Pharisees and scribes tithed. They went to church all the time. They read the Old Testament. They uh, uh, lived exemplary lives, but they were filled with themselves. A bunch of them brought a, a woman one day who had been taken in adultery and threw her down and said, what do you think we ought to do to her? Moses said she ought to be stoned. What do you say? And the Lord in his gentleness and kindness stooped down and wrote in the sand. I don't know what he wrote. But in a little while he stood and said, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. And then he stooped down and wrote again. And when he stood, all, the, all those men were gone. They had looked into their own hearts. They saw their own sin. And Jesus said to that woman, where are your accusers? She said, no man, Lord. And the Lord said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, he did not condone her adultery. He was not saying, well, it's okay. If you just, I understand you're just humanly weak. That's okay. He didn't do that. He said, go sin no more. Don't do that anymore. But the scribes and Pharisees said, you generation of vipers and snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath of, 
to come. The smug, self-righteous people God has a hard time with. And in the scripture in Ephesians 4.30, he says, he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed in the day of redemption, but let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. There are some people who live exemplary lives and are filled with wrath and ill will and grudges, and they can't hardly smile because they're so filled with bitterness. And Jesus said, that's hard. You grieve the Holy Spirit, and there's no joy in your life when you do that. So what is the answer? What do we do? Ephesians 5.18 is the answer. He says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. There are some people into whose lives the Holy Spirit has come and he is resident, but he is not president. When Abraham Lincoln was elected president of the United States, and we've just observed his birthday, he had more enemies and more death threats on his way to the White House than any president that was ever elected. He was elected just prior to the outbreak of the Civil War. The issue of slavery and states' rights and all those things were in the minds of everybody. And on his way to Washington, he was threatened over and over again, don't go to the White House or you'll be assassinated, you'll be killed. They called him a gorilla. They made fun of him, said terrible things about him. He had perhaps in the early days of his presidency the hardest job any president's ever had. And on one occasion, some came in and said, uh, Mr. Lincoln, we trust that you will be a compromising president. The issues are too high for you to stand on your convictions. And the president said, I'm not only a resident in the White House, I'm the president of the United States. And he took that office seriously. I want to ask you today, have you allowed the Holy Spirit not just to be resident in your heart, but to be president? To occupy the throne room, the playroom, the game room, the bedroom, the dining room, all the areas of your life. Is the Holy Spirit president of your life? There are many of us this morning that are hungry for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. All you'll ever get of the Holy Spirit comes when you get saved. But all that he gets of you comes as we surrender little by little by little to him. Years ago, I heard the story of a preacher who had performed a wedding of a very wealthy couple. When the service was over, they gave him a little gift. He went home and they anxiously opened that gift and they found a pair of kid gloves. He thought, well, this is strange. It's the middle of summer. I don't really need the kid gloves. And I know they were wealthy. I don't know why they gave me a pair of kid gloves. So he put the gloves in his, in his drawer and never used them. One cold winter day, he was going out to make some calls and his wife said, 
honey, you need to wear some gloves. And he said, well, I don't have any gloves. Oh, yes. Remember those gloves that couple gave you when you got, when you married them? Well, she got them out and gave them to him. And he started to put the gloves on. He tried to get his fingers in. They wouldn't go in. There was something in there. And he reached in one finger. He pulled out a $100 bill. He reached in another finger, another $100 bill. There was $1,000 in those gloves. He had it all along. He didn't even realize it. He didn't use it until he needed it. I want to tell you, you have the wealth of all heaven in your soul today if you're saved. You have all the thousands and thousands of dollars God could bestow upon you in the joy and thrill and excitement of the Holy Spirit. But he wants you to have that fullness. And you only have it when you recognize it and ask the Lord to just fill you with himself and you surrender room after room after room to him. May we pray. Our Father, we thank Thee that Jesus is here today. We thank Thee that the Holy Spirit is available to every man, woman, boy, and girl who is saved. We ask that You would fill us with the Holy Spirit. Give us a, an unquenchable thirst and desire to be filled with Jesus. And may those who have never been saved recognize they can have joy and forgiveness and cleansing in heaven by receiving Christ. Have thy way in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. Will you turn to page 176? Without him, I could do nothing. 176. Now, this is God's invitation. First of all, if you're here today and you've never been saved, you've never received Christ, then you don't have the Holy Spirit in your heart. There's something missing that God wants you to have. And it's only available when you receive Jesus. And when you receive Him, you get all the gifts of God in your heart. Is there somebody here today who would like to say, I want to receive Christ as my Savior and my Lord. I want to give Him my heart. And there are many of us here who have hungry hearts for the fullness of God. There may be somebody who would like to just come and kneel at the front and say, Lord, I want you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I need your power, your liberty, your freedom in my life. Whatever God speaks to your heart about, will you do it today? While we sing, while we pray, will you come?